Welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For the show, for this episode, we have three, and I say three co-hosts for this show today. I have my friend Hunter Saguna, and you have my other friend, Prof. Hanif Lawrence, director of musicals and such, as I like to think of him because he's such a musical mind person. And my name is Sean Rimkunis. Uh, many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves upon building upon the musical launch with our featured guests jamming to incredible things. They're talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, dot, 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 and everything in between. Thanks to our friends at Wikipedia. Just a quick little brief of what we're talking about today, which is Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, often referred simply to as Sweeney Todd, is a 1979 musical with music and lyrics by the late great Stephen Sondheim and a book by Hugh Wheeler. It's based on the 1970 play Sweeney Todd by Christopher Bond. The character of Sweeney Todd first appeared in a Victorian Penny Dreadful title, The String of Pearls. Sweeney Todd opened on Broadway in 1979 and The West End in 1980. It won the Tony Award for Best Musical and the Oliver Award for Best New Musical. It has been revived by, in many productions and inspired a film adaption, the film adaption having starred um, Johnny Depp and um, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, while the original play was Len Carreyou and Angela Lansbury. The original logo for the musical is a modified version of uh, of an advertising image from the 19th century, with the sign replaced by a straight razor instead. So there's also a woman wearing a blood-stained dress and holding a rolling pin next to the man. Something to think about. So off we go. All right, and we are ready to talk about some great music. We're talk- we've are we been talking about this for a long time. Hanif, Hunter, and I, I mean, like, when are we going to do this damn musical? About damn time now. And we're going to start with the first song, which is The Ballad of Sweeney Todd. I'll bounce it around to you guys first, but I'll, I'll just say this, which is it really does set the scene really well. And what I find really interesting about the show is that was weird enough. I wasn't introduced it like how you guys were introduced to it. I was introduced it through The Office. And I always thought it was strange to have a musical written about a like a deadly barber, which I <laughs> thought was really interesting. But the music, and, and you can back this up, Hanif and, and Hunter, which is the music sets the way for everything that Sondheim does, even if it's absolutely ridiculous, he still finds a way to make things seem plausible. So who wants to go first? Anif, you you breathe first, so you go first. (laughs) Well, that's something we know that um, Stephen Sondheim does so well. Mm -hmm. Uh, He prepares these musical landscapes, these soundscapes, and uses different elements, much like um, Wagner does, and he has that light motif where every character has its own specific um, sound reference, and he does that very well in all his productions, and he does it in Sweeney Todd too. There are so many themes that end up coming back later on in the production when certain characters come back, and it's just, I don't know, he ma- he creates this mood as well immediately without anything happening before everything starts you know in company there was the um the busy signal on the phone that starts it and in sweeney todd um you have 
Right, in Sweden, Todd, you have that whistle. Like, there are a couple of things leading up to it. But the what begins everything, of course, is that loud um, factory whistle that signifies, hey, it's the end of the day. And then everything else starts to happen. Which, oh, it's so good. <laughs> Sometimes setting the stage and, 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 and preparing the audience for what's to come, putting them in the mood, in the zone. Beautiful. That's awesome. Hunter? Yeah, so for me, you know, the first thing that I, I sort of always gravitate, not gravitate towards, but like something I notice in this beginning is the organ, you know, it's so often used in this like funeral manner and, and given the nature of the play, it, it's obviously very um, appropriate. But I noticed when I was when I was listening this time around, because um, I had never noticed, I had no reason to notice, um, the narrative parts where the the ensemble comes back on to talk about you know, whatever had just been happening or reiterate the theme um, of attend the tale, sweetie, talk about, you know, all that. Um, that is usually the only time in, or one of the, you know, the, the most frequent uses of the organ. It's not often used in too many of the other songs in the piece. It seems like only when you take a step back and look at the production as a whole through the lens of the narrator, um, which is the ensemble, um, that you use that this organ gets used. So I think it's a cool way to start out the production and set the stage like, okay, we're telling you that we're going to be telling you the story of Sweeney Todd. And here's our big instrument to, to let you know, bah! you know, it's like the way that you would. Yeah. Um, and I also love that the, the big punctuations with the bass drum that, that sort of play throughout the opening ballad. Yeah. There, oh, there is one other thing. Since you, since you mentioned the, the ensemble coming out to do the narrations, that reminds me of um, A Little Night Music, another Sondheim, where he yeah. has the Greek chorus doing everything, like leading the story along, and they'll come out every few scenes, and they'll have a little section that they do to, you know, kind of progress the story. And so he just uses these tools, and mm-hmm. you can see common things across all his productions. Um, so that's one thing, but you mentioned the organ too, and the organ is what opens this, well, the soundtracks I listen to, um, I love the 2014 Lonnie Price production that the New York Phil did, um, with Emma Thompson as Mrs. Lovett and Bryn Terfel as Sweeney. That's, I love that production so much. It is so good. And, um, I listened to the original Broadway cast with Angela Lansbury and Lynn Carew. So hearing mm-hmm. those and just listening to the organ at the very beginning, it's so eerie, it's so creepy. Um, yeah. We actually did a haunted house. Back in my undergrad, we were doing this haunted house thing where we took the whole music building and um, decorated inside and we had everybody playing different characters. And there was one place that um, one section of the haunted house that was just like a room filled with fog and there were like weird statues and people like dressed up in full white and just standing eerily like like dangling corpses from Silent Hill. <laughs> just standing in the hallway <laughs> with nothing going on. When people came into, the, into the, um, that particular room, it's just stillness, semi-darkness. And I, I was... Um, in charge of choosing like the music and setup for that room and the the music I decided that would play in that room when everybody comes in is the opening of Sweeney Todd. Just the eerie <laughs> organ Boom. playing along 
and then it slows down and it just starts to crawl and it becomes a dirge and you're like something is it's leading to something but what is it <laughs> and then the moment you have the whistle and it just scares everybody you'd see them jump out of their skin because they were not expecting it and it was so creepy and i was like yes this is exactly what funny. i want so it creates that mood it does what it's supposed to do definitely awesome. yeah. um guys let's move on to the next song because it then also acts as the we had the background song and now we're having the location song of the musical and that song being no place in London. I appreciate that Sondheim does a really cool thing was he, he shows the music within the innocence of the character. So you see that when Sweeney sings about London and how much he hates it, you can see how much experience in life he's had versus how much Anthony has had within that, that musical role, which is, which is bright and happy. So I want to toss it over to Hunter first. Hunter, what is your thought about this song? So my first thought about this one is um, the the opening uh, sort of choral, brass choral opening, um, right up your alley, Sean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. I think that it's great writing for a, for a brass section that really, um, you don't hear them used like that too often you know what i mean it's fanfarish but it's it's also not it's also more choral and i think that the brass has a really good range when it comes to that but it's not often utilized um so i think it's a good way of opening because part of that represents like you said the innocence of anthony and then obviously we get into the darker hue of it um where it becomes uh where it's sort of uh grappling between major and minor sort of reflecting anthony and uh, Sweeney both who have these conflicting views of of, of the city um, and the people in it uh, but I do like how the beginning is almost I would hesitate to say like a love song right it has that beginning with the flutes and the glock that sort of started out transitioning into um, you know the the operatic beggar woman who has this very contrasting style to the I think I think it's a prostitute right Who's, who starts talking to him also um or I don't know if it's the beggar woman who also is talking about it. I don't know. It's like there's two characters. Mm-hmm. It's just the beggar woman? I believe it's just the beggar woman making advances. Okay, just the beggar woman. Yeah. Mm. Right. Okay, yeah, making advances. But then she goes like between this operatic and more like haughty kind of style. Um, which is, again, another cool dual contrast, right? So you have yeah. this woman's two personalities and then you have Sweeney and Anthony who are two different. You know what I mean? It, it just it's, it's a cool way it's paralleled in the song. Yeah, and I also and like that fault. it's the first. Oh, go ahead. No, keep going. Oh no, I was just gonna say I also like the appearance of the first uh, lyrics from the Epiphany. Yeah, and and uh, Hanif, I was gonna say um, the greatest thing about this this musical is the different kinds of musical structures that are found. Especially we talk about the beggar woman. My favorite line in that being "push my parsley around." Not <laughs> <laughs> the parsley. Not the parsley. What are your where, thoughts, my friend? Okay, well, um, for No Place Like London, I think after hearing the whole ballad of Sweeney Todd and getting that introduction to the production where the ensemble tells you the story or uh, indeed the tale and invites the audience in, yeah. that's what that opening piece is about. And based on the score we're looking at here, it talks about Sweeney rising from his grave to tell this story. 
as soon as that piece ends, the mood kind of changes and the music gets more hopeful and you see them on the docks and it's Anthony and Todd and the beggar woman. But over the introduction for No Place Like Dun Dun, Dun Dun, No Place Like London, (laughs) you hear just in the distance on, on what I call tubular bells, but apparently everyone calls chimes these days, you hear the Westminster quarters, the ding, 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 to show that, okay, there's now a change in time. We're not in the present anymore. We're going back. And so early morning, about on the hour, and you hear the Westminster quarters chiming in the background of the introduction, and it works its way into the piece, and everything starts to open up, and then Anthony starts singing. And so it it, it transports you back, and it says, okay, now, after the darkness of the opening, we're hearing this whole story. Because the attendant tale of Sweeney Todd, the, the, the ballad of Sweeney, tells you all these things, tells you about his his um, his the his studio, where everything happens, and what the story is. And now you're going back to the beginning of everything to lead to that. So the audience is already aware of like, okay, so this is what we're going to hear about. And we're going to, we're now being transported to the beginning of that story. And you get the setting right away. There's no place like London. And you hear the good things about London and the bad things about London. You see Uh the trailers coming in, you're on the docks, and then there's a beggar woman who is seemingly crazy schizophrenic <laughs> seems like she doesn't know what she's talking about so immediately you're just like who is this random woman she's so crazy only to then spoiler alert find out that she's one of the most important characters in the whole thing That's so cool. it's like is this foreshadowing what is this what's going on but at the beginning it's just like she's just an old beggar woman who doesn't know what she's talking about right it's a whack job this whack job just bothering people begging for money arms oh just go back into the gutter woman what yeah (laughs) he wants nothing to do with it it's exactly surprise surprise surprise. this woman plays a bigger role in the end of the the show but he won't get to that yet but um hanif i'll jump this over to you because we'll go to the next song which is worst pies in london there's so many great patter songs in this musical this one being one of the greatest maybe one of my favorites so I'll let you, I'll, I'll start with this. Like the music in this song is just hilarious. So funny. And, and, and I think the thing that, that makes me laugh every single time that I think about this number is watching that production of the New York Phil and watching uh burn sing, listen to Mrs. Lovett sing. And then as he's going through the pie and as she says, is that revolting? He has this like very like surreal face. And he's like, Oh my God, this is so bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> what makes the song so funny or what, what do you think about the song? It's one of my, it's one of my favorite songs from the musical to listen to. It's just, it, it goes through so many different moods and so many different stages and how it just starts so abruptly. And I love Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson is such a character whenever she has to act in it. If you are listening and you don't know who Emma Thompson is. Professor McGonagall, not McGonagall, Professor Trelawney from Harry Potter, right? right. Just this crazy woman. This is who Emma Thompson is. And it's so funny because she acted this role so well. And of course, Angela Lansbury and Patti LuPone have have all done this role. Sutton Foster is going to be doing this role on Broadway. Um, Depending on when this airs, she already has started it because it's in January. And so... These are some of the people who have done this role. Amazing characters, amazing actresses who can really sell this. And that's what I love about The Worst Pies in London. Um, It's very wordy, 
but that's just what Sondheim is. It takes a lot of work. There are a lot of accidentals. It's a strange melody, but it's just, it's mm-hmm. so interesting to listen to. And the back and forth, the interplay between her and between um, Sweeney in places, just the physical comedy of it. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, Hunter? You know, it's funny. This song was actually my introduction to this show um, because... Um, Sean, I, I don't know if you know this, but the, um, our high school that we had went to, um, was part of this like theater guild and, and they would have people come watch their, from this, from this, uh, theater company or not theater company from this like association who would come to watch the shows. And then they would put on basically a mini Tony awards for Connecticut high schools. Um, and the year, the first year I went to it, cause I was involved with the musicals in our school, one of the other shows that that were like one of the other schools who did this show i think it was amity high school and their mrs lovett was up for best actress and she sang this song um and obviously you know like they would they do performances at the you know at the award ceremony and i remember thinking like she was doing this and she was hitting the you know hitting the dough in time with the music you know bum, bum, um and then that ending is very abrupt, right? Bump, bump, and she holds it out to him. And I just thought, like, wow, that is a hard thing to do. And she, like, nailed it. Um, yeah. yeah. And that was sort of my first introduction to this. So this song always, for me, is, like, yeah. the not, – it's not the quintessential part of the show, but to me, I've always thought of it as, like, the song from the show because it's my first association with it. Um, sure. but it's yeah. such, you know, yeah. and if you said that the melody is all over the place, it's true. And it is, if you can sing the song, well, it's, it's hard thing. Yeah. It goes across ranges and the syncopations also make it very intricate. And if, if yes. you mess up, if you mess up any of the syncopations, then the accompaniment, it, the accompaniment is kind of unforgiving because you're going to know yes. because once you get all of the syncopations, right. Then the accompaniment kind of responds. It's like a call and response thing, thing almost. So it's a lot of work, but it's funny. It goes across the ranges, and so it allows the singers the opportunity to use different, create tension. They can switch from a head voice to a chest voice and make it very strange, make it strenuous to kind of give you more frustration in the sound. Or switching to the head voice for the longer, the longer, the longer notes. Ninety-nine times is hard, so that it <laughs> put a little vibrato in there, make it breathe a little bit, even um, harder than the worst pies in London. All of, it. and you know the price to meet what it is right when you get back into it it's just it it keeps going it keeps going and it takes a very skilled singer to do this and act Mm -hmm. it well Mm -hmm. and so yes like you you're introduced to the other characters with some of the other characters in no place like london um but all of a sudden you meet mrs lovett and this gives you a like a snapshot of how quirky she is it's like she's almost talking to herself even though sweeney's there it's like she's still having mm-hmm. this conversation with herself and she happens to be with there. herself yeah like she trails off and, like, with herself she like trails off and she's going down rabbit holes and having all of these tangential moments with herself <laughs> not even giving him a word edgewise it's it's, I, it's quirky but yeah. it's so good and Ethan, I was going to say, that's a really good way of thinking about certain characters in the show as narcissistic as they are, because mm-hmm. sometimes the characters kind of get self-absolved with what's, what's going on. And we'll see that within some of these other numbers, but that leads us to poor thing, which I think again, does a really great job sort of illustrating how Lovitz is also a really great storyteller and how she sort of is envisioning 
and trying to, and I think one of my favorite things is just sort of seeing again. And again, you said this again, we hear the big Ben clock, which pushes us back in time to when this happened before all of then. And we start to hear the story of Sweeney's daughter. So I'll start with you, Hunter. What was your takeaway from this number? So this one, um, you know, it's very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, first of all, lo- I love the rhyming string with poor thing, the way that, the way they do that is very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's something about the song that's very, uh, it's simple, right? I mean, there's nothing too complex about the song, but it gets the, the point across well. And then by the end of the song, you've learned just enough and she's said just enough for her to figure out who he is. Sure. Because I think she says in it, excuse me, she says like, well, I knew it was you. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think At it's, it's clever like... the way... Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Near the end of it, when she, she tells this story, he seems so interested. And she's like, well... Mm-hmm. There was a barber. There was a barber and his wife, and he. She's telling this story. Maybe she's told this story to a whole bunch of different people who never really seemed that interested in it. But he's so interested, and she might be wondering mm-hmm. why is he so interested? Telling the story, and he really gets invested in things, and um, hearing about what happens with with Joanna, the daughter, and what happens to the wife and the judge, and him being the one who was transported doesn't know any of this so he's probably wondering what's going on with the people in my family and she's now telling him everything he's been wondering for so much time he's invested and she's probably like why is he so invested and then she kind of pieces it together that it's him Uh he's back and that's just what this 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 particular piece is this gives us so much more story it gives us the backstory Uh it this is what tells us this this is part of the motivation to of why Sweeney is doing what he's doing mm-hmm. yeah, and it helps right. him catch up to what's now present day and it, it's a good tool because it also gives the audience an idea of exactly what's happening now so we pick up and we're just as invested in this story in these people characters who we haven't even met yet so we already know Joanna's backstory right. and we haven't even met her yet yeah we haven't even met the judge yet and we're all of a sudden we know when we see him that he's not a good and we hate him already of this we already hate him and we haven't even met him yet. <laughs> and guys, I would say that's a really great crossover too, because then we start to hear more of Sweeney's story within the connection with the life that he had before with the song, my friends, I'll just pop this out really quickly, which is really interesting because there's a really great video of a masterclass that Sondheim did about this song with some vocalists. And the one note that he gave the student was utilize the end of your syllables to really draw out how mesmerizing it is so you'll notice that a lot of the consonants at the end of the words end in these are my friends see Mm -hmm. how they listen you know there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a twang to it i think that's what really draws this piece in and it's very mesmerizing by the way so hanif i'll start with you so what do you think about this piece the my friends it's oh it's 
it's one of the the songs from the show. I have friends. I have a friend, a baritone, who <laughs> says Sweeney Todd is his dream role, right? right? Yeah. And this is one of the pieces that he will always sing. He says he loves doing my friends because the kind of acting that you can do with this, how it's mm. written, the 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 um the book and the music really lend themselves to to just being dramatic. To, to putting so much weight on every single phrase because everything is laden with meaning. You can sing this and you don't... Without even seeing the stage direction, you see how, how enraptured he is and how important these things are, his friends. Mm. And they're his razor blades. They're his barber tools. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's something to <laughs> the There's something to this. So when you get to the end this of man it... man is not right. Like, uh, me and my... My arm, we're reunited again. Everything feels fine. It's like he's now like a Power Ranger morphing into the Zords because he has all of his powers again. It's right. like a love song to his yeah. to his tools. Mm. See how they glisten. Mm-hmm. And he's right. All of the S's, um, these consonant sounds, S's, F, F's, V's, all of these that have like partial, um, that partially obscure the vocal tract and give you the noisy f- all of those vowel sounds help. Those are the emotional ones. Those are the ones that kind of tug on the heartstrings, right? So you're right in saying that the phrases end with the S's and those because that's how you can really lengthen everything. These are my friends. See how they glisten. See how they shine. Because if you look at Harry Potter, come on, Harry Potter, coming up, coming in clutch this time around. Um, when yeah. it comes on to title tongue, it's very serpentine. It's very, it's very, uh-huh. and that's what this is as well. There's a reason that language was written like that. And there's a reason this text is written like this, because you can use the S's and the SH's and all of those to, to really pull and tug on the emotions. And that puts the audience in that mood. So you see, he can whisper, but those things will always be nice and loud. Right. You see how delicate it is, how fragile everything is, and how much he cares for his tools. It's romantic <laughs> almost. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Hunter? I mean that was it's a very it was a very comprehensive and apt description because it's it's like you know, right from the beginning, there's this ostinato which comes up throughout the whole show, I think used to convey tension. Um Every time it pops up, there's something happening that's supposed to make you a little uneasy. And I would say a guy singing to his razor blades that they're his friends and what they're going to do is somewhat <laughs> tense and somewhat strange. Yeah. So yeah. it's definitely a good place to use it. And, you know, when he talks about coming home, there's this big sweeping section, which really like the ostinato goes away. And now you're feeling, you know, like Hanif said, the emotion behind it. Um and then there's these cool parts, which Sondheim does a lot, and you see it in opera a lot, where um, Lovett and Todd are, uh, sounds like a sounds like a 70s band, Lovett and Todd. Um, Love the little <laughs> <laughs> duet section, yeah. Um, they're singing separately. They're doing their own thing, and then somehow they hit a point, and it comes together, and they're singing together. Um, which is a really cool, like, layered technique, I think. Um, and then, of course, I think the creepiest line when we're talking about a man singing to his razor blades is when he says, you shall drink rubies. Mm-hmm. And you're like, 
no. <laughs> <laughs> and then what? Hunter, we, re- we return back to the beginning of the show, and that's that's the beginning of the swing your razor wide. Yeah, and then we kind of get sort of a recap, and that's sort of like a sort of like a terror moment, like oh, here he is, like with his with his glory, and then and that return then returns to a bird song, that being the Green Finch and Linnet Bird song. I'll just say this quickly, which is I really find the song interesting because there are different instruments playing different kinds of bird calls. Hunter, very interesting mm-hmm. that our last pod was actually about bird calls. Um, oh, yeah. With Beethoven 6 was really interesting. But now we're talking about bird calls in this. And what's really interesting about this, Hanif, is I'll toss this over to you because there's a really great metaphor for her because she is someone who feels she is trapped and how, and she asks the birds, how being caged up, do you still do what you do? And it's a very philosophical question as in, as someone who is closeted up as me, like, how do you, how do you deal with, with all the external pressures of wanting to leave and wanting to escape? Yeah, this is our introduction to poor old Joanna, little Joanna, um, who is, as you've aptly put it, she's pretty much caged up. It's it's that juxtaposition. She's there, and so are the birds, and she's trying to find out. Ah, you're cooped up. How how is it you sing you? What I can't? What I'm trapped in a cage too. I don't even know who I am anymore. How do you stay happy? How do you find the energy? How do you find um, the wherewithal? How do you find the motivation to stay happy? And she's really genuinely trying to find out how, because she's not happy where she is. And she feels locked up, trapped in this house. So Greenfinch and Lilitbrill, Nightingale, Blackbird, how would you sing? Right? And she tries to find out from them, what's the justification? What What are you doing in all of these circumstances? How, how is it you still find time to be jubilant? Right? Sitting in cages, never taking wing. You're not able to fly. Outside, the sky waits beckoning. Like, it's all out there, the great out there. And you're not, you can't go to it. You're trapped in this cage. So it's like, this is what she's going through. Um this is the, I guess this is Joanna's aria, if you want to say that. This is mm. our introduction to her. And there's some word painting here because since I cannot fly, a lot of the, the, the phrases end up soaring. And it's really that soprano moment when they get to sing. There is, um, there are recordings of this done by so many different um, professional like opera singers. There is the German version that Diana Damrau has done. And she recorded it in German with orchestra. Mm-hmm. It's on her. It's one of on one of her albums. I think the Sopranos album. And so it's there in German, like literally. Same thing from Sweeney Todd, but in German. And um, uh, Harlan Blackwell has done it as well. Oh. A famous uh, African American. Yeah. She's also done it. And so on. Which one of the albums? I think it's on the original Broadway cast recording on that album. Um, one of the bonus tracks is her recording of it and so that's also there and it's just it's one of the pieces just like um joanna i feel you and um these are my friends it's like every character has that one aria i think this is the one for joanna greenfinch and lily bird because the soprano really gets a, a good time to show off um it's 
it's a, I, it sounds like a fun piece. It's always fun to listen to. And if the right soprano does it skillfully, you know, it, it, it really does come off very well. Um, and we meet Joanna and we know how she feels here. A lot of the songs that we've heard really capture the moment and give the audience the idea of what this character is about and where they are in their story. And this is a good one too. Sure. And then there are moments hunt- in here, sorry, where she trills no, okay. on the high notes, which also gives you the idea of birds. So it's like she's mimicking the birds at times too to try and figure out, find her own way of being like them and soaring. It's also that juxtaposition. Sorry, as I'm speaking, I'm looking no, for the score. Hunter, what I find really interesting is one of the favorite lines that I have is, um, is it rejoicing or merely alluring? Which I find to be really Sondheim-y, which is that alliteration of are we living life because we are trapped or are we just are we just for show well i think it's also uh i think it's also related to um and this is very like an into the woods kind of question which is you know she's she's yearning for the outside world and she's uh looking at the birds and all that kind of stuff but you know there's always that question of you know i want to be out there but do I really, or is it just because I can't be out there that I want to? You know what I mean? Like, do I actually want to go out there? Which is very Rapunzel, right? She wants to go to the outside world. She wants the prince. But does she, or does she just think she does? Like, it depends. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. In Into the Woods, obviously, that doesn't work out so well for her because, it, you know, she's not really prepared for it. She's not ready for it. Um, in this, is a little bit, you know, a little bit different, but still... Yeah. Uh, not necessarily happy, happy, you know. <laughs> so it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting comparison. I also noted that, you know, anytime the because the, the the flute passage from this shows up in a couple of the other numbers, and every time it, every time it seems to either represent her or Anthony, um, right. yeah. which is going back to what you said at the beginning, which is this concept of innocence. Mm. So I think it's good to point out, you know, like um, like Kenneth said at the beginning. And if you mentioned, you know, the Wagnerian leitmotif thing, this is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it yeah. does come back. And then at the very end of this, when she says, if I cannot fly, let me sing, I guess that's really her only way to be free. That's what she realized. And she's like, if I can't fly like you can whenever you're released from your cage, at least let me sing. And so we see a bunch of different times how a lot of what she does ends up sounding like singing, whether she's screaming or whatever else is going on. She's always singing. So I guess that's her Mm -hmm. way of kind of breaking free. That's her her way of achieving some kind of freedom, looking to the birds and and learning from them what she can. Yeah. Beautiful. And then guys, we get to Ah Miss. And that is another crazy patter song for me. Anthony singing that so quickly and sort of very quickly like mrs lovitz did in the worst pies of london i think it's really funny but also really flighty and also shows how hopeful the character anthony is um i'll pass it over to you hunter the thing that was really interesting to me was also it's a a, the, the the characters anthony and um joanna were meant for each other i find that really interesting mm-hmm. what do you think yeah about that the, you know the the first thing I noticed about this particular song is, again, just like at the beginning, you know, his, his character has a more optimistic tone, already a sign that his path is likely to cross with hers, even if you just follow the musical cues. 
Um, but the beginning of this song, this song has like a much lighter orchestration than some of the other songs. And it's got a lot lighter of an articulation to it. And I think that's intended to mimic the concept of like, you know, her bird call, her, her bird motif, I think is conveyed in quote unquote, a more masculine way um, for a, a male character um, at the time, what would have been considered more appropriate for a, a male character, but still an innocent tone, still clearly the um uh like the the, the romeo character um right and i think it it nicely parallels hers and then leads into obviously one that's you know his real emotive song yeah and then kanif this is a really great moment where we jump back into the beggar woman once again and the beggar woman is going crazy my favorite yeah. being hey ho sailor boy and i think that's a really great shift to just something different from, yeah. from what we've been hearing so what really sells that transition if you don't mind me asking and then anything else you want to add about the song what sells it is you have this amazingly you know you have this moment of um anthony being wowed by joanna singing on the balcony as as hunter said you know it's that romeo and juliet kind of vibe that's what's going on he's wowed by her on the balcony and we're um we're enraptured in that we're just like oh look at them falling in love Oh, and then all of a sudden, boom, out of the blue, there's the, the beggar woman emerging from the trash heap to, to accost <laughs> poor Anthony and, and abusing him. Literally, the stage direction here says, while she's singing that hey-ho, sailor boy, that stuff, near the end, it says, she grabs at his crotch and dances around him <laughs> grotesquely, <laughs> lifting her skirt. So you're just like, what is this woman going on about? She's inappropriate. She's inappropriate in this moment. It is not good. I mean, she was offering herself up to Sweeney at the beginning. Exactly. I didn't, well, oh, geez. That's not even. <laughs> so I guess she's just trying to find a way out of the gutters. Ma'am, I mean, I feel you. I feel you. We all try to find a man, but this isn't the way to do it. Um <laughs> So, I mean, she's asking for what she wants, but it's it's a lot, and we never expect it. It happens by surprise. So, in the midst of this lovely moment, you're brought back to reality that hey, we're still on the streets of London, mm-hmm. and there's just this beggar woman who keeps popping up in the story. Of course, we don't know why. We just think, my God, she's annoying. But they have to position her <laughs> in such a way that she is, um, because as we said, that's gonna count soon enough. Huh, but yeah. it how they do it is always interesting. It's always interesting. And she does... It sounds as though she's speaking in a coded manner. But she also is the one to tell Anthony that this is the judge's house. We already know that that's where Joanna is. Because Joanna is. Because we heard that from um, the previous story with Mrs. Lovett. But Anthony doesn't know. So this is the way, this is the storyteller's way of getting him in the loop as to who Joanna is and why she's trapped at the house. Because the audience knows, because we heard Mrs. Lovett telling the story, but Anthony doesn't know. And this is also their way of informing us to confirm, hey, this is what you're looking at. This is Judge Turpin's house. This is Joanna. Because, of course, when she sings Greenfinch and Lillibird, we don't know, we don't really know that that's her. We assume, well, this is our confirmation that this is Joanna. This is Judge Turpin's house. And we get, we learn more about his character. We know he shipped Sweeney off and tried to take Joanna. But now we hear, oh, he, he'll whip you. He will do all these things if you trespass there and all of that. So, 
different tools, different ways of informing the audience and the characters about, you know, the relationships within the story. So it's a tool. It's a tool. And then that follows up with a really kind of really intense scene where the judge and Anthony meet for the first time and they're sort of fighting. And then Anthony basically is wanting to pine after this woman and um, the judge doesn't really want it at all. And the judge is like, if you ever see you again, I'm going to you know, sue you or blah, blah, blah. But what I find really interesting is with the next song, and I want to bring this over to Hanif because Hanif, one of the most stunning moments on stage for me was through that Lincoln Center video. And one of my favorite moments is right at the end of the song, Joanna, which is what we're going to talk about now, sung by Anthony, is now right at the end of the song where he bursts open the birdcage and you see that this is something that he, he feels like he needs to do. Um, the words are very, very literal and very overwhelming but the song is probably one of the most iconic and beautiful pieces of musical repertoire i've written so let me toss it over to you what what are your what is your reaction to to seeing all of that and maybe what the song is about well so of course joanna here is um anthony's the anthony's one of the arias if you want to say aria one of the songs it's the main song from here um that anthony sings and you see him enamored by Joanna um, in the previous piece. Ah, miss, he's admiring her from, I wouldn't say from afar, from close enough. Um, she hasn't yet really, she's noticed him, but they haven't had a conversation per se yet. Some kind of, some kind of way, but not directly. So now he's pining after her with Joanna part one. He's there pining away, talking to himself, singing to himself. And we're, we're like, okay, so he does, he loves this girl clearly. Then the judge comes in and then the beetle is around there. And I think it's the beetle who opens the cage and takes the bird out and now starts to, to, to kill the bird in front of him. And I think that's kind of, it is traumatic to think about. I, I can never imagine squeezing the life out of a living thing, you know, maybe a cockroach, maybe some insect here or there, but not a bird. That's too big a life. That's too big a right? Yeah, but the beetle does it with no remorse. And he's doing that to kind of show Anthony, hey, if you get mixed up in this and if you try and take Joanna away or if you try and do anything, this is what can happen to you. It's almost like a subtle threat to him. That's not so subtle. But really, it does have some lovely musical moments in this. And there's Joanna part one and Joanna part two. So if we're talking, I didn't even realize that they were separated like that. But um, he does talk about, you know, going and stealing her. We, we find out he wants to go and save her from the life that she's living. Because I guess she's heard that he's heard that she's all caged up. And this is what the judge will do if you try and take his beautiful, you know, baby bird, Joanna. Exactly. And... He's adamant that I'm going to well, save he also wants to marry. to rescue. And he also wants to, right? And so he's like, I'm going to save <laughs> you from all of this. And then, yeah, he smashes Then I'm looking through the stage directions here. He says, smashes the cage. And then, till I'm with you, then I'm with you there, sweetly buried in your yellow hair. And the, the, there's that the swell of the orchestra and everything comes together. And it's like a triumphant end because he's like, I'm going to save you. 
I'm gonna rescue you from this life, and I'm gonna marry you. Uh, we will be there in the future together. Yeah, and then he throws the cage away, picks up the duffel bag, and runs off. So it's a lot. It's a lot that happens in this, but it's it's a lovely piece. And we're going to take a break now. And remember that if you would like to support this podcast, please go to Spotify for Podcasters. You can also search Music Speaks Podcasts on multiple listening platforms, such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, and many, many more. And in the spirit of Percy Granger, here's a line from Percy from Harry Potter, or about him now. Percy wouldn't recognize a joke if it danced naked in front of him wearing Dobby's tea cozy, said Ron Weasley, responding to Hermione. All right, thanks for having listened with us. As always, my name is Hunter Sagona. My name, of course, is Sean Rimkunis. I'm Honey Florence, and we will see you next time to discuss Beethoven's 7th in A Major. Keep listening to what you love.